Aloha mai kakou. Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation, Art, Culture, and Ideas in Hawaii. I'm Noe Tanigawa. So glad you're here for this look at the world inside our minds. Earlier this month, the World Health Organization came out with a report on depression, saying it's common worldwide and a leading cause of disability. That's another way of saying many of us are doing everything we can to live with pain. Dr. Thomas Cook is a psychiatrist. He's been practicing in Honolulu for the last six years. He treats patients for insomnia, anxiety, trauma, suicidal ideation, chronic depression, PTSD, and other issues. In his practice, Dr. Cook finds that psychedelics benefit his patients at a time when so many are under added stress and anxiety. I have certainly seen depression rise, suicide thinking go up. I've had some of my long-term substance abuse patients that have been sober alcoholics for a long time have relapsed. I've been dealing with a lot of increased demand for psychiatric services. Do you think that's true across other colleagues in your field? My colleagues around Honolulu report the same thing. And there's an uptick in child issues to a lot of increased stress amongst children uh, because of just all the change we've seen in the past year. What made you search for alternative therapies? Well, I got into medical cannabis about five or six years ago after my training. And in spite of my training, I was still biased against cannabis uh, after medical school at Northwestern in Chicago and, and residency here at UH in psychiatry. My combat veteran patients helped me to see the light and that led me down a several years of reading and a, a kind of a, a rabbit hole of research that opened new doors of thinking for me where I, I thought outside the typical prescription box. And I got into all kinds of other alternatives. The main one being ketamine that we provide in our office. We do intramuscular psychedelic doses of ketamine in the office three days a week. And we see a lot of relief from depression that way. And then Wait that, a minute that, here. Help us. We don't know really what these treatments are that you're talking about that have proved so fruitful for, for your clients. Well, ketamine is a state-dependent form of healing where... The, what the does that mean, state-dependent? It's the purpose of the drug is to cause an altered mental state. You don't want the patient on the same drug every day. When you're on an antidepressant every day, you are numbed and you are in the same mental state every day. So you become less discriminatory and less perceptive about mood changes. So normally happy people, when they're depressed, they notice it, they feel it as a foreign mind state, they do something about it. But depressed people lose that ability and, and people on the same antidepressant every day don't have much mood variation either. With a psychedelic that's taken sporadically or occasionally, you have a better ability to discriminate, make changes, and adapt. And that's what you see in nature. When animals are depressed, some animals, as Ron Siegel has documented in his book, Intoxication, they seek out altered mental states to deal with trauma and to deal with loss. So he even points out there's a Hawaiian mongoose he observed who, when losing its mate, would eat the morning glory seeds get dizzy and delirious oh. for a while. I mean, there's elephants that eat fermented fruit to get drunk on them, caribou that eat mushrooms, there's monkeys that eat mushrooms and appear to become very contemplative when they do. And so you see this sporadic occasional behavior in animals. Without addiction, you see sporadic behavior that's in response to a need for a different mental state. We have a lot of people today stuck in their minds and repetitive hamster wheel type negative thinking. And SSRI antidepressants. SSRI is, what is that again? These are the typical ones like Lexapro, Prozac, Paxil. These, these drugs don't relieve, they numb. They're essentially suppressive in nature. They don't liberate the patient from the, um, the solipsistic prison that they're stuck in. Hmm. So you found a way to somehow jump people out of those sort of mental ruts that we tend to run, right? Um, mm -hmm. How does it work to do that? Uh, you know, I, I wish we could use psilocybin in the office, but we do use ketamine because that's a generic drug used in anesthesia and it has psychedelic properties. So we do a shoulder injection. The person dissociates and goes into a trance state for about an hour and a half. We want them in kind of a twilight where they lose a sense of me, myself, and I. 
and they can begin to, to think about themselves in the third person. And so what happens when a person is in that state, at least on ketamine, they are able to have a, a sense of compassion on themselves. Many of us would give very good advice to a, a sibling or a cousin or a friend who's suffering. Depressed people can't give themselves that same compassionate advice. They're very harsh on themselves. And when you dissociate, wow. you lose that sense of the first person. And you see that negative self-talk as kind of foreign. Wow, I'm talking negatively to myself all the time. And these thoughts, they're not necessarily me. They're not necessarily helpful or healthy. I can begin to view them as somewhat foreign, uh, not as voices the way a schizophrenic would see them, but you see them as harmful for the first time. Wow, why do I do this to myself all the time? Now, that's the advantage of an altered mental state. No antidepressant, no Lexapro, no Prozac is going to give the person an insight. It will numb the depression, but it won't give these great insights. So I'm trying to change the paradigm of treatment to state-dependent healing. So you're saying mental state-dependent. Yeah, you could be in an altered mental state and learn from the experience and help that lead you to heal from a depression. People that seek out psychedelics to heal, they're not drug-obsessed people. These are people that are seeking not the drug, but the experience, and they don't need the, 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 the drug. Okay, Obviously, psychedelics are abused like anything. But the point with psychedelics is the altered mental state and the learning from the experience that comes with that. Dr. Thomas Cook is a psychiatrist practicing in Honolulu. We'll hear more about his experience with psychedelic therapies ahead after we check in with a couple of people who've actually felt the effects of psychedelics. Ashley Lukens is co-founder of The Clarity Project. Their goal is expanding legal psychedelic therapies in Hawaii. This year, at the legislature, they supported Senate Bill 738, an effort toward legalizing psilocybin in Hawaii. For Lukens, it all started in 2017 when she was diagnosed with brain cancer. I think a cancer diagnosis for anyone is really overwhelming. I was a single mom working in nonprofit. And the prognosis on my cancer is seven to 11 years, which in brain cancer world is amazing. You know, you wonder, well, how can she speak so level-headedly about something as potentially devastating as that? And I'll say 100% of my ability to process my diagnosis and access a sense of of hope and resilience is because of psychedelics. Okay. Um, how, did, how did that work for you? Most people using psychedelics therapeutically will dose a high amount of psilocybin, or in my case, I've also used ayahuasca. Psilocybin is a chemical compound in a mushroom. Ayahuasca is? A combination of a root and vine. It's a Peruvian plant medicine. It's probably one of the most well-known psychedelics on the market. It grows here in Hawaii. It's legal for ceremonial use, meaning that you can take ayahuasca as a part of your religious rites. We're not just talking about like intentional recreational use. This is use that is in conjunction with a therapeutic plan. The protocol, as it's been standardized, is very much rooted in the research that originated at Johns Hopkins University. They're the research institution that's done the longest clinical trials on the therapeutic efficacy of psilocybin. Although these days, I feel like every week I get an email about a university creating a new center for psychedelic studies. So it's very much in vogue in the medical community. Of those studies, and there are many, yes. what of the research really does impress you? When you look at the efficacy of these substances in resolving long-term mental health issues, 
I get really excited because right now the fields of psychology and psychiatry really only offer symptom management. They don't offer resolution. I think COVID has really taught us that like mental health is intimately tied to physical health. And if we don't have relief from depression, anxiety, it's hard to live fully. What I've learned in running Clarity Project and all of the anecdotal stories that we hear from intentional users of psychedelics is that these substances are changing their lives. And the research is there to verify what our human stories and anecdotal evidence has been telling us for years. I'm just another one of those anecdotal stories. As you're experiencing it, Ashley, how does that happen? Most of the time you're <laughs> laying on a mat in a dark room. There's no lights. Um, you're there with either a facilitator or a shaman or an ayahuasquero, somebody who's trained to administer the medicine. You take a dose. And in my experience, the first 30 minutes to almost an hour of absorbing the medicine is intense physically. You can experience purgative effects, which means you could throw up, you have to go to the bathroom, you sweat, and you drop into a psychedelic state. Um, in my early dosing of psychedelics, I did a lot of returning to my childhood. You're there in the room with yourself as a child, but you're sort of able to relate to that self. So in my case, I'm in my childhood room with my depressed 14 year old self. And I'm telling her like, nothing's wrong with you. Everything that's wrong is happening out here in your world. You are okay. You did nothing wrong. And you have this opportunity to like comfort your childhood self. Hmm. You start to make sense of the world through your child's eyes, but then you get to bring in your adult self. So it's like this real amazing opportunity to almost reparent yourself. So then when you move out of the psychedelic experience, mm -hmm. you have this integrative, healed inner child. So for me, the resolutions have come from releasing myself from stories that I made up a little as a little kid about the world. How did you feel after that first guided experience, let's say? I think for the first time in my life, I felt fully held and understood, not by others, but by myself. Like I did the integrating work that I needed to do to understand what happened to me as a child and to no longer let that hold me back as an adult. For me, releasing myself from my loneliness and pain that I experienced as a child, I feel has significantly contributed to my amazing physical health outcomes as a cancer patient. My scans continue to be clear. Now, are they clear because of all the work that I'm doing physically to just remove bad toxins from my environment, eat healthy? Maybe. Your brain scans are clear, don't show cancer cells. Was that gradual? Well, I mean, I had brain surgery. And after my brain surgery, there was a spot, a residual tumor. And prior to starting chemo and radiation, but after an intense life reboot, and after my psychedelic experience with ayahuasca, that spot was gone. Since my 2018 chemotherapy and radiation, I've 
done ayahuasca and I've done psilocybin once. All four of those experiences have helped me connect with my community, understand my purpose in life. Again, release these toxic narratives. Now, there are non-psychedelic ways to do that. People achieve that through meditation. They achieve it through mindfulness. They achieve it through psychoanalysis. But I would argue that there are a lot of people that do not attain the clarity that psychedelics provide you through meditation and through psychoanalysis because there's a firmly entrenched mental block. And psychedelics have just shown time and time again to help you overcome that barrier. Ashley Lukens is co-founder of The Clarity Project, part of a growing national movement to decriminalize psychedelics. Last legislative session, local law enforcement entities testified against SB 738, a bill aimed at legalizing psilocybin. Dozens of supporters included patient advocates, members of the hospice end-of-life care community, sex abuse survivors, and military veterans. Vietnam veteran. 70 years old, he volunteered for the Army in 1970. He came back, he says, to a world that he felt he needed to protect himself from. And that involved considerable self-medication. It got to the point where my son came up and said, Dad, you're going overboard with this drinking and, and smoking pot. And I've been taking antidepressants and everything. He said there's some new therapy with psilocybin that can clear up a lot of the cobwebs in your mind. I listened to him and I went to got an experience with psilocybin. Where, here in Hawaii? It was in Maui. In Maui, I went to their home and they, they put a lot of uh, candles and things and music and they gave me some psilocybin. And they they stayed right next to my side the entire time. And I got such a big feeling a lot of my emotions were washed with this and my brain and heart were connected again and I started to feel good about myself what did you feel during the experience Steve I felt like my chest rose up and that I I was um really levitated and I felt like um so so happy and so I remembered I kept saying the word oh I remember I remember I remember so much somehow my brain was connected with all these memories that were before Vietnam as well as right now but we just sort of skipped over the whole thing it it just made my life happy again and they assured me I I, I took a lot you mean you took a lot of psilocybin yeah, I did. You're talking about that one yes. okay. one time with uh-huh. the therapist. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, they gave me some uh, follow-up mushroom uh, therapy called microdosing that uh, is like five different kinds of mushrooms. They are rekindling in a very small way my great experience. And the great experience comes back with these micro mushrooms. And I just remember... Did you figure something out that suddenly, what's the cause of this feeling so great? <laughs> I, it was just some sort of awareness that came over from, from taking the mushrooms. This awareness came over, a clarity came over in my thinking. And I started uh, remembering things, my things emotions, like what? feelings. I remembered having feelings and uh, the feelings were attached to things in my life that were very important to me and love and feelings of happiness. And I sort of blew away anything else that I was thinking about because I suddenly was very 
calm and happy and emotional. And once I got over the great rush of the celebration, I can now just tinker with it like having a cup of tea. Uh, instead of taking antidepressants, I take microdose. And it's much better for your body and your mind because it, attach, it attaches to your heart somehow. And that, that's a healing thing. It really is. How long did it take for you to change after this experience? Oh, well, you know, I would say what they call an integration time, which is about a week or two. When did you have your celebration? I had it about three weeks ago, just last month. Okay. I was I was high for four, between four and six hours. I was fine after that. And then the next day uh, was the most important integration day. We took a nice little walk out in the, on the trail in Maui, enjoyed a little river and the trees and, and the people and everything. And I took a drive around the island. And then after that, I was fine. The third day I got on a plane and came home. No hangover. Did people look at you differently when you walked in the door? Immediately. Immediately. I think it's a miracle. It actually is a miracle. Wait, now, is, is somebody there? Is Chris your daughter, your wife? Right. Could I just ask her for a second? Like, would she talk yes. to me? Would she just say, yes, she, Chris, would you mind? Yeah. Because, I mean, she knows you before and after. Yeah, she knows me. Hi. Chris, Chris, hi. Noe Tanigawa. I work for Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, hi. You know, <laughs> so good to meet you. You know, Chris, so... He came back from this experience. Were you expecting much? I was supportive of him doing it. And I think that there's a couple of things listening to him that I think is important to know. One is that he cried for almost six hours. So it was intense. But when he came back, I did see him very different. After Vietnam, he just shut down his motions like a lot of them did. He became a school teacher for 20 years, elementary school teacher. He went through the motions, got married, had a son, and then his brother committed suicide. That's when things started falling apart for him. And then when this mushroom, I think that what he experienced was very heavy duty, but what he got out of it really was life-changing for him. There's no doubt about it. Chris and Steven Anderson. Steve, a Vietnam veteran, experienced his first psilocybin therapy session about four weeks ago on Maui. They say classical music has the power to heal, to boost creativity, or make you more productive. Some even think it makes you smarter. One thing's for certain, classical music makes you feel good, and it's waiting for you on HPR2, your home for classical music. Catch performances right here in the islands and from around the world. Tune in on your radio, our mobile app, or on your smart speaker. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. from that Rainbow Bridge concert on Maui. Hey, let's turn back now to clinical practice. We'll do it with psychologist Dr. Thomas Cook once again. The FDA calls psilocybin a breakthrough therapy for severe depression. Earlier this year, 
The New England Journal of Medicine reported on the benefits of treating depression with psilocybin, benefits that extend to treating even long-term PTSD and sexual trauma. I asked Dr. Cook about his experience with psychedelics and treatment-resistant conditions. These sorts of patients need a solid holding space with a good talk therapist before delving into psychedelics because it can open a can of worms. They can feel psychologically vulnerable. The first time uh, on ketamine in my office, they may cry a great deal. And then the second time they come in, uh, you know, weeks later, they may just be totally different. They may have a great experience. PTSD makes people afraid of vulnerability, but vulnerability is some of the sweetest experiences of life, falling in love, being uh, in a trance state when you're at an opera, when, when you feel very vulnerable when you're listening to art or music, when you're watching any, 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 any very deeply human thing is gonna involve vulnerability. And so that, you know, they're missing out on, on life. They need to re-enter that feeling of vulnerability without the trauma. So a psychedelic for them can reteach them how to enjoy vulnerability. The psychiatrists that are trying to get away from Prozac and Lexapro and the drugs that have been around since the 90s and overprescribed, these doctors are the doctors that are helping usher in the, the psychedelic renaissance with psychedelics, especially because it's countercultural still because you're seeking an altered mental state. You're seeing uh, people seeking healing through a user-operated method. They are using their own inner healing intelligence to find a solution. And the psychologist, the talk therapist, or the person who's a psychedelic guide, so to speak, or the doctor, they're, they're helping facilitate. But it's really the patient's own inner healing intelligence that, that heals them. It's healthy. It's, it's, it's one of the essences of being human. Right now, Harvard Medical School blog, I think I was just reading support for psilocybin therapy. Even the federal medical establishment has shown some openness towards even psilocybin therapy. Uh, you just wonder what the resistance might be. I think the resistance will largely come from big pharma uh, because big pharma really still operates under a paternalistic medical model where it's not about your mind state. It's about their drug and the receptors that their drug hits. But if you learn from an experience, you keep that learning and you don't need a lot of treatments. My patients don't get ketamine at Beyond Mental Health very often. I have patients that come in maybe twice a year, three times a year, and they're off antidepressants and they do better than they did before. They don't have problems with orgasm. They don't have problems with weight loss. They do so much better. If you think about the profit model that Big Pharma wants, that they want to sell 365 pills a year. That's really a model we need to get away from. And I think there have been movements with Ronald Griffiths and a lot of researchers that Michael Pollan ha has pointed out. They've re recognized what Big Pharma has done to psychiatry. The American pharmaceutical industry has really corrupted my profession. They have a model of treatment that is very reductionistic and doesn't give enough to the, the patient's sense of agency and the patient's sense of spontaneity and looking to use their own uh, healing and learning. But if you learn from an experience, you keep that learning and you don't need a lot of treatments. We do need to regulate toxic drugs and chemicals and things, but uh, psilocybin is non-toxic. And ketamine, for instance, in my office, ketamine is not reimbursed by HMSA. Still, it's several hundred dollars per treatment at my clinic. It's a generic drug from the 70s, okay? It's cheap. You can order it cheaply. The procedure is not reimbursed, yet ketamine is the only drug that's been shown to reduce suicidal thoughts. Did you know that? Prozac, Lexapro, none of these other drugs, no brand name antidepressant has ever been shown to reduce suicidal thoughts or behavior. And ketamine has, lithium has a little bit and olanzapine has, a little. that's an antipsychotic, but uh, ketamine has strong evidence that it reduces suicide and yet it's not covered by insurances. Why? The reason why ketamine's not reimbursed and people have to pay out of these out-of-pocket boutique prices for psychedelic ketamine treatment in my office is because it's a generic medicine and the FDA is not interested in approving generic medicines. Big pharma, 
has relationships with the FDA to promote brand name drugs. So the focus of the FDA is to focus on brand name, the latest and greatest, the new drug. But generics work better. Ketamine is a generic psychedelic drug from the 1970s that outperforms any antidepressant, and it's still not reimbursed. There's a social justice issue there where people who can't afford ketamine can't get the best treatment that will reduce their suicidal episode. That's really a problem, I think. In this new model in psychiatry, I think we need to have profound respect for the process, right? You can harm a person too through these procedures and psychedelic gurus and ayahuasca retreats can be a real problem for uh, sexual abuse and other things. But at the same time, because of the vulnerability and the lack of sense of self can also lead to profound healing. So this is a time of shift in my field where we need professionalism more than ever before. We do need a strong sense of ethics and principles as we get into this type of treatment. Psilocybin is going to get absorbed by big pharma somehow, as is cannabis. That's the next challenge. You mean how, how to, how, how how to protect the real substance and how to protect it from patency manipulation. And unless we get changes to uh, how drugs are branded and managed in the U.S., we're going to just have ongoing issues. And yet it grows out of cow pies in Waimea. I know, and you'll always be able to get it, <laughs> uh, the original. <laughs> Dr. Thomas Cook practices psychiatry in Honolulu. His clinic, Beyond Mental Health, offers alternative therapies with the goal of getting patients off antidepressants when possible. Dr. Cook points out that the regulatory environment influences how much we know about these alternatives. Yale, the University of California, Berkeley, Johns Hopkins, and Mount Sinai Hospital are among institutions that are planning or already established psychedelic research divisions. Psychedelics remain illegal under federal law, but the Justice Department has so far taken an approach similar to their handling of recreational marijuana. Other ways to altered states coming up on the Aloha Friday Conversation. Since time immemorial, humans have used dance and body movements to enter altered states of consciousness. While a lot of us remember spinning in circles as a kid, only a fraction of us pursue movement to reach an altered state. We move for exercise or performance maybe, but humans of the past hammered on drums, stomped the ground, and moved their bodies to get in touch with primal energies. Steve Bakanoff still does that, and he's not alone. He and people around the globe, apparently, commune in a practice called Dances of Universal Peace. Bakanoff was introduced to these dances in the mid-70s when a friend of a friend said, hey, there's a dance in the desert tonight. So I jumped in the car and we showed up out in Mesa, Arizona, in a beautiful place in the desert under the stars. And there were 40 people in a circle. Somebody was leading that had a guitar. They taught us some simple phrases, and simple movements. So we would move in and out, make a turn. They were very repetitive. Like one example, a beginning dance would be using the Arabic phrase, Bismillah Erachman Erahim, which is the first words of the Quran, which basically means we begin in the name of the oneness that is mercy and compassion. So the dance would go, Bismillah, Bismillah. So we'd be bowing. Bismillah, Bismillah. And then turning. Erachman, Erahim. We begin in the name of Allah. So you, and you repeat that over and over. Bowing. Bismillah, Bismillah. Turning right. Erachman, turning left. Erahim, and then walking to the right with holding hands. We begin in the name of Allah. So that's a 
typical beginning of a dance and you can kind like of how long would you do that most leaders will keep a, a dance going i'd say you know a good five to ten minutes the dance leaders goes by their feeling what feeling are they going for mostly what these dances is about is like i said they're called the dances of universal peace so they're about first of all connecting with your own heart and then connecting with the other beings who are in the circle with you and then sending that out to the world so we're kind of creating a peaceful community by doing these simple phrases and simple movements and then by that sending out that feeling to everyone well, what does that feel like i love it i fell in love with it that night and that was in 1974 and here i am in 2021 and i i lead the dances and i travel around the world these dances are everywhere. You've led the one on Kauai. It started out as you say as Sufi dancing. Yes. I've been leading since 2005 on Kauai. And it's a monthly a, dance circle. We mostly do a monthly. Yeah, some When I first came to Kauai in 1989, somebody said there's a dance tonight. You want to go to the dance? I said, "Sure." And we jumped in a car and we drove out to you, Do you know Kauai? Yeah. We drove out <laughs> to the dry cave in Hyena. And, oh no. And, and and they had it set up with luminaries candles leading a path back into the back of the cave so there were hundreds of candles people came from all over the island there was no flyers there was no emails there was no phone tree they just knew that on the full moon the dance was happening at the dry cave so so it was an amazing dance and those those leaders uh Sherry Mark and Sherry Anderson aren't leading anymore but they did it for 20 years and they created one dance that was in Hawaiian that the words are a malama ikaheao that means to take care of the the heiau to take care of the sacred it started on Kauai and you can find youtubes of that dance being done in Ghana and in Russia is this a growing movement oh certainly except oh. except except that sometimes we the, the young people aren't aren't as into it as the older people so so we we do a lot to encourage our youth movement. <laughs> oh what might hold them back? Does it does it look a little um you know wild you know, and crazy? They, well, you know, it's just not their style at this point. What is it embarrassingly maudlin looking? Uh, no, I don't think it's maudlin. I think it's just it's not a rave and it's not a you know, it's I just it occurs to me that there may not be enough dancing in my life. Uh-huh. that's something you could remedy. Cheese, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do. Steve Bakanoff and the dancers of Universal Peace Ohana on Kauai. They've been dancing in a COVID bubble through the entire pandemic. Support for the conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. HPR is seeking candidates for a multimedia producer to oversee production of on-air promos, live music events, and other content for broadcast and digital platforms. If you have experience in audio recording and production, if you're well versed in audio capture and storage systems and have a love for public radio, we would love to hear from you. Learn more on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org/jobs. Elizabeth Baxter is curator for the State Foundation on Culture and the Arts. She's the mastermind behind Altered States, the exhibit on now at the Hawaii State Art Museum. It's open free. Monday through Saturday 10 to 4 and it was so much fun to catch up with Ms. Baxter for a swing through the show. So on the front wall here is Masami Teraoka's artwork and this one is called Second Avenue Ramen Stop New York Governor and Pussy Riot. So you actually have Governor Cuomo yeah. um, with one of the members of Pussy Riot wearing a vote 
uh -huh. there. And then that's, I think, um, Anderson Cooper looking a little worse for wear. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> a, a 2020 relic so, yeah, from um, the coast. So there are a few pieces in this exhibition that have to do with that, but Altered States is not a COVID-themed. It's just about <laughs> artists and their unique perspectives and alternative visions of the world. Um, so some of the pieces are really old and some of them have never been seen, but it's all from the Art in Public Places collection. Oh, so these are all owned by us. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, Scott Yule's work here is brand new to the collection as yeah, well. Yeah, I haven't seen this piece. Yes. Glass? This, yes. Altered State, it's, here we're talking about the environment, because it's birds, but they look like balloons, and they've been deflated, so it's about Hawaii's lost birds. This is scary. Yeah, but it's also beautiful, right? Oh. There's lots of different perspectives. That's why we need artists around because, right, it's not something that maybe you're thinking of or I'm thinking of. It's all over the place. And some of these are more reflective. You saw a Sami Doi here. You've never seen this one. Um, but I oh wanted to God. show some, um. some artwork that maybe does, is a little bit harder to place out in the public. So that's a sphinx. So, you know, it's an alter state of uh, mythology. Yes, okay. And it's a Those dress are great. <laughs> All right, if you say so, it is a sphinx. Yeah. I guess you have to kind of refer to history or mythology yeah. if you're going to paint stuff like this. Yes. <laughs> and then... Um, this Let's, one's really yeah. cool. This is another new piece to the collection, and it's by Michelle Swangle. This has to do with the environment, too. Hey, this is really cool, though, right? It? It's just yeah. so great. <laughs> well, and a lot of these are, I mean, it's dealing with the environment and destruction and global warming and all of that, but it's also really beautiful, so it draws you in that way first, and uh -huh. then you get the undercurrents. Yeah, that's a nice way to go at it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh -huh. Can you kind of tell when some pieces are created in an altered state? Um, well, speaking of that, we have Ryan Kikas <laughs> uh -huh. around the corner. Huh. So this is a complete fictional world, uh -huh. right? Funkel, grunt, grunt, and he, it's a series he did, and it's just completely his own world, which again looks there's maybe that's kind of an undercurrent here too it looks really kind of happy and playful until you look carefully and then yeah yeah like, but it looks okay, pretty at first right pastels there's a lot of pink and yeah. kind of baby blue here and I think little sometimes these blobs look okay too until you see that people then, are missing limbs and well, there's heads on fire and, but this is kind of a world that people actually feel a little familiar in because we're used to looking at anime and stuff mm -hmm. so it's it does invite us in. It does. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like an updated Hermonymous Bosch garden. I think you're right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That kind of, uh -huh. right? Yes, um, artists have been doing altered states for <laughs> a little forever. Uh -huh. <laughs> you see that Isami um, Dori was doing the same kind of focus and that enlightenment. So an altered state through, through religion, huh. and through enlightenment. I mean, what does a painting like this do to people, you think? Just so much red. <laughs> That's probably a cadmium red, right? That's, I mean, it's, this is also from 1965. So, because he was doing a lot of enlightenment, kind of mm -hmm. Buddhist-influenced paintings towards the end of his life. So this was a later huh. piece. But it's still vibrating, right? It hasn't, it hasn't lost its vibrancy. No, it hasn't. Elizabeth Baxter, curator for the State Foundation on Culture and the Arts, is absolutely right. Isami Doi's vivid painting, Enlightenment, was the instigation for the Altered State show. It depicts a figure against an alizarin crimson ground. Cadmium red rays emanate from the figure's head. Doi's depicting Enlightenment as a fully charged state. saying 
Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. No big promises there. But for just a glimpse at what people get out of meditation, let's talk with someone who's meditated daily for decades. Artist Mayumi Oda has an international reputation for exuberant nature-filled paintings and prints. She lives now in Kealakekua, a place she chose for its starry night sky. I asked Mayumi how her day started. I had a meditation and I did the chanting, morning chanting. What time do you wake up? Usually six, before six. Mm -hmm. Then six, 30 minutes meditation. And then I walk in the garden. Very Um, kind of regular things I do in the morning. Forgive me for asking about simple things, but sometimes when we know the details, it's easier for us to start. So mm-hmm. I just wonder about meditation. How do you do it? You just sit quiet, not to think other thought come in. Just to really focus in not thinking. And it's just What do you do when thoughts come up? You can come to breath and just be really clean from other thought. Do you feel anything physically? Calm. I feel very calm and pristine. How do you sit? I sit now in a chair because I broke my hip and I cannot sit. Usually, I do basically meditation posture. Spines really elect straight. And your shoulders are not way up by your ears. <laughs> you mean. Yeah. And then what do you do with your hands? Usually put the hands together with the mudra. Then we are told to put two hands together like this. And I put it over the, my stomach. Resting in your lap. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really wondering, Mayumi, how to help people just get a taste of what meditation is like so they can choose for themselves whether they might want to pursue it further or not. Yeah, you should have get real teacher. You cannot start by yourself pretty much. You have to have a real good teacher just guide you. Why? What does a teacher do? Teach you how to meditate. If you don't know how to meditate, you think you can just do it? Well, what kinds of things do you have to learn? All kinds of things. Like? Sitting still. I had a good training in Zen Center. and took quite a while to get into the real meditation. And that's why people coming place like San Francisco Zen Center to have a training. That rigorous discipline is a part of it as well? It doesn't have to be rigorous, but it's a discipline is definitely the deal. Really? Yeah. The discipline of, of what? The practice. Just doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Every morning you have to do it. Then you really need the discipline. Some morning you feel like, a, you know, lying in a bed. You should not be like that. <laughs> How about just one day out of seven? It doesn't work. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, I see what you're saying. But how do people find a teacher? There's a whole lot of, you know, teachers around. And That's the problem, Mayumi. Then you can just decide who 
you like who you feel like a following get your sense you know you are the decision maker artist Mayumi Oda from her studio in Kealakekua Hawaii Island discipline to find a father reason I am able to communicate is tied to this energy I we have arrived through the my medicine guide, don't mechanize We be live, bro, with animal tribes I look at being left out As people sorting themselves out If we were meant to rise together, things wouldn't have went south But I ain't trying to rise alone I'd rather coexist Shed a little Mahalo to Super Groupers for this song. We also heard the Hawaii Gamelon Ensemble and Big Empty Feel from Hawaii Island. We heard Hendrix from that Maui Rainbow Bridge concert today. All the music played on Aloha Fridays has Hawaii connections. You can just bet on that. And that has been our Aloha Friday show for today. Thank you so much for being here. It's always great to hear from you. Just call that talk back line and leave the comments. Have you gotten off antidepressants? How? Call 808-792-8217 or email talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. It's fun to read your comments on Facebook, Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Love to hear from you. Or share stories from the conversation page there on the HPR website. This program is produced all week long by Savannah Harriman Pope, Russell Subiono, and Lillian Song. This theme music right here, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Noe Tanigawa. You join us Monday. That's when Catherine Cruz comes in and picks up the conversation. Until then, let's take care of each other. Hey, happy Aloha Friday.